Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This Prop- is Deacon Mike. And this is John. Welcome. I found out what uh, Monday Thursday is. You did? Well, at least the word Monday. Okay, what does it mean? It could be one of... There's the, the two possibilities. It could be from the Latin mandatum, because on Holy Thursday... We remember that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and he says, "Mandatum novum, da." I, what are, I don't mind Latin so bad. <laughs> I give you a new commandment: love one uh, another okay. as I have so loved you. Mandatum I come as one who serves. So he's okay. saying, he's saying uh, this new commandment of love. Okay. The other possibility is it could be connect, connected to Latin mendicare, which is to beg, because it's a day for giving alms. Oh, very um, nice. And it could be kind of a strange way that was said. Uh, Monday in England. So very nice. Well, nice. Uh, thanks for looking into that and get back on. You're us. welcome. The uh, before we get into our topic today, I have to say uh, hello to Jenna in Washington D.C. Hi, Jenna. Jenna is coming into the church. She's going to be baptized on this Sunday, Easter oh, Sunday. Bravo! Which is very exciting. So uh, we're praying for you, Jenna, and she's under the care and the instruction of my friend, Brother Austin Litke, who's now Deacon Austin Litke, who was originally from Kentucky. Now he's in D.C. And uh, Jenna, I would just say to you, if if you ever hear something in contradiction between what we say on Catholic Stuff You Should Know and what you hear Brother Austin telling you, definitely listen to what he's Brother right. Austin tells you because right. he knows his stuff and we do not. So just want to make that clear if there's ever a contradiction. But congratulations on coming in the church. We're excited for Jenna. you and praying for you. Okay, let's get to the topic. Okay. Are you ready? I was born ready. Church of the Holy Sepulchre. All right. So we're going to start in history my problem is we never really get to theology, so you never really learn Catholic stuff. It's like historical stuff you probably didn't care to know. But I want to get. I want to get related there to the church. Want to get there today? The ch- yeah, history is important. History is important. That's right. Okay, so. so so let's get into it. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the name of the, a church in Jerusalem that's ancient. It goes back to the early 300s, mm-hmm. and the church is significant because because it has both the site of the crucifixion and. Resurrection. Exactly. Inside the church. Inside the church is, and, and it's a massive, really bizarre looking church. It's worth going on Google and just looking at photos of it because it's huge and very strange looking to, to us in the West. But it's right in the heart of Jerusalem, and it is um, it, it contains both the uh, place of the crucifixion and then also the place of the, the, the sepulcher is the Latin word for the tomb. So the, the tomb right. where he would have been buried and then resurrected. So a couple questions automatically come up here. Like, what the heck? How do we how do we know that's the true place? Why are they so close to each other? A lot of people say, well, there's the wall going around. I thought that Jesus was killed outside the walls of Jerusalem, but this right. church is right in the center of the old church of Jerusalem. So there's all these different questions that come up. So perhaps we start with, um, I don't know, which one do you want to start with? I, um, Were you listening? Uh-oh. I was, I was listening, <laughs> totally. but i got to decide. It's early. What about yeah, like um, history? I, I like the, I like the history, especially why are they so close? That was surprising when I went there. Okay, so it's surprising that the, that they are so close. Well, let's go through the, the history first, and then so Jesus is killed outside the walls, and we know from the gospel accounts and from early Christian accounts that he's taken outside the walls of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and then he's killed. The place of Calvary is actually like a quarry. It's like a yeah. stone quarry right outside of the walls. Now, Mike, Deacon Mike, and I have both been to Jerusalem, so when we're talking about these things. We actually kind of have seen it and, and can visualize it, and we're going to try our best to really 
kind of articulate that and explain it today because it's really profound. But it was a stone quarry, and they would have put the the crucifixes when they crucified. They would have put it as a shaft into the cracks in the rocks. That's how they stabilized these massive crucifixes. Right. So and there's there's huge pile of discarded stones, and Jesus was crucified on the top. Right, he was crucified on top. So instead of like the top of a huge mountain, he's uh, he's on top of this kind of huge right. pile of stones, so to speak, outside. But it was kind of like a waste, a wasted area, so to speak. The the stones that were rejected. When he speaks about that, the stones crying out. He's speaking about it's in a, a quarry where all of this is happening. So it's really and then and then I I was wondering, well, if they're so, why is it there's a pile of discarded stones where Jesus was crucified and then so close with tombs. But at least I think it makes sense that if you're digging stuff out, you just make you make um, a cemetery. Exactly. Because if you're using caves as, as cemeteries, then a quarry is a perfect place. And that's and that's where it was. So the, the tombs were dug in at the bottom of this kind of massive stone quarry pile thing. And so Jesus is crucified on the top. And then at the bottom is uh, where all of these tombs were dug out. And these were all first century tombs. So they built a church over this whole entire thing. It, originally, it was two different churches. But it took a little while to get there because in um, 70 AD, the Romans come in and there's a Jewish revolt. In 66 AD, they respond to that by completely destroying the temple and the whole city. So the whole city is just leveled. I mean, and we're talking like leveled to the ground, completely yeah. leveled. But the, there's still Christians. Very few Christians there at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, but they do remain, and there is kind of reverence to this place, and they kind of keep it. But what what's really significant is when the I think it's the Emperor Adrian rebuilds Jerusalem. He specifically builds a pagan temple over the spot of Calvary because he wants to make this a place of pagan worship, and he knows that the Christians this is a very significant place. Yeah, for them. People are visiting. We know this from Eusebius. That's fourth century. Uh, historian of the church. He tells us this. I mean, this is like very early that we know that this happens. Okay, but the the, the sepulcher that I visited is not a church for a pagan god. It's not. So something changed. Something changed, and his name was Constantine. Actually, it was his mother, St. Helena. So Christianity becomes legal in 325. One of the first things he does is he sends his, his mother on pilgrimage, who's a really holy woman, she's a saint, and mm -hmm. sends her to Jerusalem, and she says, he says, build build churches worthy of the life of Christ. And so she goes and, and just starts building all these churches. First one she does, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So she rips down the, the uh, pagan temple and builds it on the spot right over the, the traditional spot. And this is in 333, we know from pilgrimage accounts, because people are taking pilgrimages all the time to Jerusalem, right. which is crazy to think about in the 300s, the thought of traveling from Bordeaux, France, or something like that. Just crazy, crazy. Yeah, or from early. England on foot. Um, taking you years and years to well, take a pilgrimage. Even by the end of that century, you had folks like Jerome who would go and just live there. Yeah, as just monks. just move there and just live there. So it's it's kind of becoming a a, a hot spot again. And pilgrimages they're now free to get there. But she builds the um, what is the original church, and then there's been several that have been kind of destroyed in fires over the last 1700 years. But for the, essentially, it's the same church in the same location that she had established and that he commissioned through her work to have built. Something else happened, though, while she was there. The True Cross. Oh, yeah, right. Do you know anything about this? Well, I kind of know a bit of the legend, but I could use a refresher. Okay, so, yeah, this is just this is just a legend, but the, uh, the story goes that she was, um, when they were building, they were, they were kind of digging down beneath in those. Do you remember those back rooms? There's, you, so oh, you yeah. have 
Up on top is the place of Calvary, and there's a chapel up there, and then down below is the tomb. And if you think about it, if the tomb was in the side of the um, rock quarry, they just brought it all, they just like trimmed the whole thing down to look like a little igloo around the top, <laughs> and then they built a huge church over the top of it. Right. So that's kind of how it works now. But if you go into the back rooms, they found uh, the true cross, and they know it was the true cross because... You know what? Oh, yeah. Helen tested it with lepers, right? She tested it with lepers, and it kept curing leprosy. Because there was three crosses they found. Yep, yep. And then she wanted to know which one was Jesus's. Right. And they so they would have the lepers touch it, right? Yep, and it kept curing the lepers, and so it was brought back to Rome and venerated, and now it's in the church of Santa Croce. I've, I don't know the Italian. Right. They're something. all Santa Croce. Everything's Santa Croce one of them. in Italian. The, uh, so the, the cross goes back to, to Rome. Eventually, but the Church of the Holy Sepulchre remains, and it is it is hands down the most beautiful place I've ever prayed in my fascinating. life. Fascinating, fascinating, and incredible. When I went to Jerusalem, uh, this was several years ago. We were in one of these groups. Jeff, Cave, I almost said Father Jeff Cavins. Jeff Cavins, <laughs> not Father Jeff Cavins, uh, led the group. Great trip. We were trying to see a lot of different things, but one of the priests on the trip grabbed me and he goes, "Get up, we're going to go five a.m. We're going to go down to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre because it's full of tourists." All day long, he says, but you want to be able to pray there. So every morning, we'd walk through the streets of Jerusalem, downtown, through the old city, and we would get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and have an hour to pray, literally praying at Calvary. I mean, it's like praying yeah. where Mary prayed Amazing. at the foot of the cross. It's incredible. And there's really incredible. Not, not many people there at that hour. No, there's not. Really. And then what happened a couple of days later was my friend Father Clockman offered Mass in the tomb. So this is in the Holy Sepulchre, oh, yeah. in the tomb where Jesus was buried. But w- the reason it was so powerful was... They started the Mass, the readings, the introduction, all the different stuff outside the tomb. And the tomb is really little. So he had to duck in, and there was only room for two priests, and he goes into the back. And, and the place where Jesus was buried and laid is now an altar. And he offers the Eucharistic prayer wow. there. But when he comes out, he has the Eucharist. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away his sins. And it was like oh, the resurrection man. happening in the Eucharist. It was, the most, it was one of the most unbelievable experiences of the Mass ever. It was like... In the, cre- in the priest, he goes in as Christ dead oh, yeah. into the tomb. He and in the Eucharist, he comes Christ out with Christ resurrected. It was, pow- it was powerful, man. Yeah, I like that. Amazing. Um, and so just praying there was, was tremendous. Now, a lot of Protestants have problems with this location. They say, wow, this isn't legit because the current church is inside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. And they say, well, Scripture old says city, old Jerusalem, yeah. Scripture says that, the, uh, that Jesus was killed outside the walls. Now, why was it important that Jesus was killed outside the walls? Well, the prophets were all uh, outside of Jerusalem. Right, right. They died outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is fulfilling and he's falling like in, into the prophetic line. Exactly. But it was. It was outside the it walls. It was wasn't outside it? the walls. Exactly. The Turks destroyed the old walls. Because remember, the Turks came in, I don't know, 6th century, 7th century, really quickly and took over. They destroyed the original walls, which would have put the Holy Sepulchre, the church, outside of it. So the city was much smaller in terms of what was walled. And then they built the current walls in about the 8th or 9th century. So when you go to Jerusalem Uh, now, the old city is walled in by something that looks really old. 1,200-year-old wall. Yeah. But it's not old enough, right? And that's why it's it's confusing. So Uh, now it's in the heart of the city. But back in the day... The sepulchre would have been on the outs, on the outskirts. So it's really uh, kind of okay, interesting. Okay, well, wait a minute, John. You told me you were going to get to theology uh, and not just history. Well, you got two minutes to tell me some theology. I got two minutes to tell you some theology. Okay, crap. <laughs> <laughs> not prepared. The uh, um, I think the important thing is this: um, understanding relics and understanding places and understanding um, things. 
this is important for Catholics. Why do we do all this stuff? Why do we have a church of the Holy Sepulchre? Why do we pray? Why is it so significant? Yeah. Uh, all of these physical things. That yeah. We're all into relics. Why do we care and, about places? Why do we care about places? Why is John always yeah. talking about places and rocks and, you know, Scalic Michael and all these different things? Because we are body and soul. We often think of ourselves as just these kind of spirits with these shells. But that's what Plato said. That's not Christian. We are body and soul. We're, we're one. A person is both body and soul. So when he prays, when you pray as a person, as a human person, you pray body and soul. So what is physically with us smells, right? The crazy incense, the oh, sight yeah. of all these wild candles, all these different things going on, this gold. and It affects us and it pours into us. We were talking with... Uh, our friend Mickey Musset recently, who's going to commission an icon Thank for you, our Mickey. chapel of St. Augustine. And he kept saying, he's saying, this needs to teach. He said, what do you want this to teach? Because this physically, the beauty of this is to draw them in, but then to bring them into themselves because it's, so, it's such a beautiful thing. Mm, yeah. That's why Catholics are so kind of obsessed with the physical because Christ took on flesh. He became a man. He took on flesh. And so it brings a new significance and a new kind of sacramentality, so to speak to the whole world. So we have to kind of uh, recover that, um, what George Weigel calls the sacramental imagination. And that means that oh, yeah. the world, the visible world, is filled with kind of God's invisible work and grace. And it's, it's operative. And we have to understand that, that in things now, there is significance because of Jesus Christ. And uh, there's, I mean, it's, it's just real. Yeah. I don't care who you are, whether or not you believe. If you go to that place, you will say, this place speaks of a God who is mysterious, profound, uh, beautiful, provocative. Um, it's, it's an amazing, it's just an amazing place. It is. And I think that's one of the great things is going to Jerusalem because we don't like mystery in the West. We like to figure everything out. We like to be rational and just kind of scientific and just kind of boom, 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 boom. But it's not. It's messy and it's crazy yeah. and it's mysterious and it's beyond us. Um, and this is what I'll close with. I was reading... Uh, in John, when Jesus is about to go out to the garden and then to be crucified, he says to the apostles, he says, um, now you do not know, but after these things you will know. But there's two different words for know in the Greek, but you would never know that. First is like, now you don't perceive this thing, but afterwards you will come to, to know it on a deep level, on a personal level, a level of the heart. So it's like you don't understand with your head, but you will understand with your head and your heart wow. after these things come. So that's we got to be open to grace to allowing us to come into mystery in a deeper way. Well, that's the it's uh, what's going to happen in the triduum, right? That's right. Right. So that was some enter o- into the depths of Christ. That was some off the cuff theology for you. I hope oh, it wasn't thank too you, shabby. John. So, no, uh, I'm impressed. Thank you. It was not well planned or organized, but we uh, I think we're done for today. And um, have a good Easter break. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. There's your fun fact for today. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>